You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So welcome and good morning to all of you once again. Um, Some of you are our guests, and we haven't had a chance to meet, but my name is Jay, and on behalf of our whole church family, welcome. And for our online community, we want to welcome you in once again. We're so glad that you are worshiping with us and here to learn uh, from God's word with us. So glad that you are with us as well. So we're going to start things off by, you know, cutting to the chase and getting to what is front and center. Whose team are you on? Well, let's find out. Would you take out your phone, please? We're going to take a little poll here, and those of you who are watching online, you can open another browser and, uh, and do this with us. We'd love for you to do that. Um, we are going to take a poll, and you actually have six choices, but who do you want to go to the Super Bowl? Who is your team? We're down to four teams today. The conference championships are today. You've got your choice of the San Francisco 49ers. There's one fan in the room, okay. <laughs> Maybe a few more online. There's uh, the Green Bay Packers. Okay, there's two fans here and maybe more (laughs) online, and they beat my Seattle Seahawks last week. We won't talk about that. Still too painful. Um, And then we have the Tennessee Titans. Okay, okay, there's five here. And then this must be where all the fans are. Then we have who? The Kansas City Chiefs. How many we? Wow. Well, your other two choices are my team isn't there. That would be one of my choices. And then the last choice is I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Between us, that's who won the poll in the last service as well, overwhelmingly. We'll put those results up for you in just a second, but we will give you a chance to open your browser, go to that address, and to weigh in, and we'll publish that in just a minute, and for our online folks as well. But that being said, um, many of you have reached out to my family and I in the loss of uh, Jamie's mom last week, and I so appreciate that. We so appreciate that. Your cards, your concern, your prayers especially, the texts, the notes, the meals, it really has been overwhelming. And I just want to thank you on behalf of our family. And as I've been telling many of you, and I, boy, I genuinely believe this, I, I don't know how any of us face death or losing someone we love without Christ and without community. And, uh, and we have both, and we're so grateful, and so grateful for you. So thank you so much for that. It means a lot to us. Um, we are having a graveside service for her in just a couple weeks. In our weekly email update, um, we'll send out to you where that's gonna be. It's gonna be out of town. And because of that, we don't expect you to come. We know you love us and are praying for us. But if you would like to come, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly welcome you and would love to have you there. That being said, let's get back to our poll. Let's see what's going on here. So we're gonna publish the results now. And here is who is gonna win the Super Bowl. I don't care. <laughs> Once again, I, I'm, I'm seeing a pattern here. It's a little disturbing. I mean, what, what do you watch the Super Bowl for? The commercials, right? I mean, come on. That's why any of us watches the commercials. It's the Super Bowl. Well, this opening section of Galatians has often been described as Paul writing this letter to this collection of churches and people and saying, Whose team are you on? And that's a fair comparison to some degree, but the reality is, is that's really not a deep enough question, and that's not really what Paul is talking about here. 
Because you see, God is not looking for fans like someone who would, would like a team. God is looking for followers. And there's a huge difference. He's looking for those who will choose to trust him and obey him and respond to his love in their lives and who will follow them with the course of their lives. And that's really the point that Paul's making here. If you were with us a couple weeks ago when we started this series, we looked at how Paul defines the gospel. What is the good news, the gospel, of Jesus Christ? And if you happen to be with us last week, our Gary Brashears stepped in for me because of um, us losing my, my mom, our mother-in-law, and he preached an incredible sermon on really expanding what the gospel truly is and looking at very comprehensively, what do we mean by the good news of Jesus Christ? And every so often, there are those messages, those passages that come along that I personally will bookmark and just make sure that every so often I go back and listen to because of the depth of what they cover or what have you. I would encourage you to do that with Gary's sermon from last week. If you or our online friends have not had a chance to listen to that, I would encourage you to or to go back and watch it on what we have posted on Facebook there in our, our video archive because it is a comprehensive explanation of what the gospel is all about. It's more than just switching teams because this God doesn't want fans. He wants followers, which now brings us to where we're at in the flow of this letter with the Apostle Paul. He's now going to begin to describe his own spiritual journey and he's gonna describe how his life has changed. And really what we'll look at in this brief passage is he's going to single out what it is that has changed his life. Because you see, there are some dynamics to the Bible, to Christianity, that no other religion and that no other worldview has. And what Paul will describe in this passage is one of those things. There is something he will point to to say, this is what has changed my life from the inside out. And I want you to watch for it as I read this passage to you. If you want to go to this passage on your phone, by all means do so or your tablet, or however you get there. You may be old school like me, and you actually use a print Bible. But we're in Galatians 1 still, starting at verse 11, and this is what he says. This is what has changed Paul's life. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response wasn't to consult any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, or the apostle Peter, another name for him, and stayed with him 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So let's go back to these opening verses here. As Paul continues to build his argument, 
with the Galatians. Remember, the ground he has covered is that he has reminded them there is one gospel, and that's what Gary helped us see last week. There's only one path, one way to Jesus Christ. And when you dilute that, when you distort that, when you add to that, you begin to lose the only path to right relationship with God and other people. And Paul, to emphasize that point, says, look, gang, I did not make this up. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a bedtime story. It's not a fable. No one taught it to me. It wasn't even a dream I had, and it wasn't even a vision. Jesus Christ literally appeared to me personally. And the details that are found in another book in the New Testament, in the book of Acts chapter nine, it goes into more detail about what actually happened there as Paul was walking on that Damascus road and Jesus Christ literally appeared to him in this blinding light that literally blinded Paul for a number of days. But this wasn't something Paul made up, it was personal experience. Now, let me run something by you. Let's take this for a test drive. Do you believe in personal experience of other people? Is that valid to you? Does that carry any weight with you? I think because of the culture we live in, I think because of the the accessibility we have through online means, what have you, that we rely and look to with credibility more people's opinions than we ever have before. I'll give you an example. Even with her... Right now, being with the Lord, my mother-in-law is still blessing our family. We're in this hard process now of emptying out her apartment, and it's just, it's so difficult. I mean, you're, you haven't even gotten to the, the, the true grieving you need to do and have to do when you're holding these things in your hands that are memories, and I mean, it's just, it's just it just is what it is. But my mother-in-law had an almost brand new ceiling fan in her apartment, and um, Jamie's family, you know, gifted it to my family of origin and so yesterday I went over to my mom's house on the west side and I put in this ceiling fan from my mother-in-law's apartment and as I'm wiring it up I realized I have an extra wire (laughs) that's a problem and so what did I do I went online to reddit and looked at what an electrician had told someone else because I didn't want to bother my other busy electrician friends and learned where that blue wire needed to go and hooked it up. And my understanding is my mom's house is still standing and hasn't burned down yet. So, but I looked to someone else's opinion and experience to know what to do. How do you decide where you want to go out to eat if you've never been to a restaurant before? How do you decide the multiple options that we have for this or that? How often do we look to other people's opinion for that? So if someone were to come up to me and you and to say, hey, I saw Jesus last night, I mean, understandably, we'd be skeptical about that and necessarily so in terms of thinking critically about that and really asking questions and testing that, but this carried weight just like it does now to the people Paul was writing to. And he's making this point that this is something that happened to me. And then he goes on to prove his point and says, look how I've changed. This man went from being a persecutor of the church and trying to destroy the church to being a propagator and a promoter and a preacher of the gospel and the church. An amazing transformation. So how does that work? Well, again, we've looked at this these last few weeks. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't something you earn. 
You don't merit it. It's not about your resume. Anyone at any time can enter into the kingdom of God. Do you, do you buy that? Do you believe that? I mean, could, could this guy enter into the kingdom of God? Oh, wait a minute. How'd that get back into the slideshow again? If you were here last week, this is our Pastor Bob, who you saw up here earlier. We had an ugly sweater contest um, here as a staff this last December, and he won, you know, hands down. And um, this was our, okay, sorry, Bob. But any excuse to tease Bob is a good excuse. But let's think of another example. To make the point here, who is the last person you would ever expect to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Someone who is an enemy of the gospel. Hates it. Even to the point that they would like to destroy it. As I've thought about this in terms of world figures and a common frame of reference, this is one that came to mind. Do you know who that is? That is Kim Jong-un. He is the leader of North Korea. And he has said many times that his goal is to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and the gospel. If you want more specifics, go to publications like Voice of the Martyrs and others that track persecution around the world. And if you choose to follow Jesus Christ in North Korea, you go to a work camp where you are literally worked to death or you just disappear and you're never heard of again. Because this man has said, I will destroy the gospel and all religion for that matter, but the gospel. Now, What would happen if tomorrow you opened your app on your phone, the one that you get your news from, or however you get your news, and you read that Kim Jong-un had become a Jesus follower? And now this man, who was out to destroy the church, was now preaching the gospel and making a commitment to make his nation into a Christian nation that loved Jesus Christ and that followed would that make waves in our world? Would people look at that and go, how does that work? And that's the point with Paul. This was a man who was out to destroy the church and was doing his very best to do so, who literally, through this encounter with Jesus, was completely changed and now was promoting the gospel. And it's it's remarkable. And how did this happen? It's one of the things that Christianity has that no other religion or worldview doesn't, and he talks about it. What is it? Grace. Christianity is the only worldview, the only religion that claims grace, that God is grace, that he extends himself through grace to us. You will not hear that message anyplace else. Because Jesus wasn't an emissary of God, he was God. He comes to earth. God comes to earth to be one of us. He lives a spirit-filled life. He shows us how to live the very life that we're all looking for. And then he dies on a cross and rises again. And in doing so, he takes all our brokenness, all our sinfulness on on him, and he substitutes himself for us. And then by rising to new life, he gives us the power through his Holy Spirit to live the very life we're looking for. Forgiveness, a fresh start, joy, hope, peace, a future in life now, and on and on it goes. No other worldview teaches that. And Paul says, God's grace is what changed my life. So the next legitimate question is, well, what in the world is grace? And we've talked about that. 
And a, a, a working definition is this, God's unmerited acceptance, freely given for the sake of relationship and for enablement to serve him and others. And we see both these things being lived out in Paul's life. So how does God's grace work? Well, it comes to us and calls us, just like it did Paul. And again, this is not a principle. This is the person of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. He comes to us personally. And he talks about Jesus himself, how this happens. He said in the Gospel of John that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the last day. And this word actually has um, a couple ways it can be defined. It can mean draws as in wooed or persuades. It can also mean drag. So what happened to Paul was he was literally dragged into the kingdom of God. God's grace was irresistible to him. Jesus appeared to him. He had no choice. I mean, it just overwhelmed him. And God does call people like that. But God also calls people by drawing them. It's a process over time. And without opening too many theological debates here, can you resist God's grace? I personally believe you can. I think sometimes it's irresistible, and I said, I think sometimes... It isn't. It can be resisted, rather. But either way, God draws people to himself in different ways. He did that with Paul, overwhelmed him, but we see people in the book of Acts like Lydia, the seller of purple, who was wooed, who was persuaded, who over time chose to receive God's grace and to receive the Lord herself. So God does both. And for me, those of you who know my story, when I went to that young life camp, I felt like I had a choice to make that I could have resisted and I chose not to. It was, was I gonna follow Jesus Christ or not? And I, and I chose to, to follow him. And his grace changed my life too. But regardless, whether you're overwhelmed like Paul was or you're wooed and drawn like Lydia was, the common denominator is you gotta respond. At some point, you have to respond to God's grace. So how do you know if God is calling you, if his grace is at work, if he is at work in your life? Well, he's gonna get personal with you. Just like he did Paul, maybe not in that form in that way, but look what happened with Paul. In his story, he says that when he was overwhelmed by Jesus after his sight was restored, the first thing he did was he went to Arabia. Do you know what's in Arabia? Not much. Mostly desert. And there are a number of scholars, and I think they're right. They think what Paul did was he went into the desert, and all these Old Testament scriptures, all these Old Testament promises and prophecies and predictions about the Messiah, about the one who would come, all the dots began to become connected for him. And he realized all along, for thousands of years, that was talking about Jesus Christ. And I think all of a sudden, this got extremely personal for him because he realized that this God he ex had experienced was the God he had been promised. And once that happens, once God's grace, God himself gets personal with you, it moves from just being information to transformation. But the truth has to get personal with you. By way of example, and some of you have heard this story as well, Many of you know that I reluctantly run. I like to run with my wife, Jamie. 
But for many years, I didn't. Jamie would go out running and I'd watch her go and I knew intellectually, boy, you know, running's good for me, it makes me feel better, it's especially great when you stop and you don't have to do it anymore. But you know, I knew all the health benefits, I knew all the reasons why I should exercise in that way and could. And then one day, when I reluctantly went on a run with my wife, she turned to me and she said, would you consider running with me all the time? And I said, okay. Really? No. I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll run with you. And many years ago, when that happened, ever since then, I run pretty consistently because I'm running with my wife. And prior to that, I could have told you, oh, these are all the health benefits, and this is all the information, and this is all the reasons why. But it did not change my life until it got personal with me. And I realized, boy, how good it feels when you stop running. It's great. So... The truth got personal with me there. And that's what needs to happen with the gospel is you need to ask God in your spiritual journey at some point, will you show yourself to me? Will you get personal with me? I know the facts and I I believe the information, but help me believe you. And, And he will do that. And you will know that that has happened when you begin to change. You see, once again, By way of reminder, God's grace is unconditional. It's an unconditional gift, but it does come with conditions, just like all gifts do. And we looked at this dynamic a couple weeks ago. God's grace is unconditional, but when you respond to that grace, you don't get to stay where you are. You will change. And he will begin to transform you from the inside out. And it's a very interesting process Sometimes it's sudden and sometimes it's incremental. In fact, you see both in Paul's life. He has this amazing 180 degree change where he goes from trying to destroy the church to now advancing it and proclaiming it and preaching it. But he will go on to describe times when the change is incremental that's happening in his life. And sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. You ever felt like that? So did Paul. In Romans chapter seven, he describes this this wrestling process of growing and changing and becoming more like Jesus. He says, man, there are times that I do what I know I shouldn't do and there are those times when I should do something and I don't. And what a wretched man I am, but Jesus Christ has rescued me. And he keeps going back to that and that's, that's the reality. It's sometimes that change is gonna be very significant and very Sudden and sometimes, I think oftentimes, it's gonna be incremental. So let's, let's take that for a test drive. So how do you quantify change in your life? Let's think about it biblically. Jesus himself said you can summarize the Bible in, in two primary values of what God wants for us. It all comes down to two commandments. Love God and loving people. Okay, so let's go with that. Do you love God more than you did a year ago? Do you love the people in your life more than you did a month ago? Well, how do you quantify that? 
Well, are you, are you more giving to those around you than you used to be? Are you more forgiving? Do you serve other people more than you used to? Do you give people the benefit of the doubt who don't necessarily deserve it more than you used to? Boy, this is, this is still pretty hard to quantify. But again, Paul models something for us that is, I think, very significant and that is a big piece of helping you and I understand how we're changing and how we used to be versus where we are now. Because sometimes it feels like nothing has changed. When Paul went into the Arabian desert, he didn't stay there. We don't know how long he was there, but what did he do? He comes back to community. If there's a secret sauce in all this, in quantifying change, this is it. Community. It's one of the many reasons why we need each other. Because you are only going to grow so much outside of community in your relationship with God. How do I know if I'm more loving? How about I ask the people in my life who know me best? And how about those people in my life encourage me and tell me, not flatter me, but encourage me and say, you know what, yeah, you, you are more loving, you are more giving, you are more forgiving. And I've seen it and this is how we need each other in this. And this is one of the many reasons why I'm so grateful for this ability, this means to reach into our online community. There's folks who are watching this service now and I wanna speak directly to you for just a minute. There are a number of you who are watching this because you're sick, because you're traveling, because for whatever reason, you can't darken the door and be a part of the the face-to-face community here. And we totally get that. That, That's why we've created this, or at least taken advantage of it, I guess I should say, is we want to extend community to you. But there are some of you who, you're not here for some other reasons, like maybe you were hurt in church at one point. I get that. Or maybe you're just not quite sure what to expect and so you're checking things out via this medium. That's okay, that's good. But if it's possible for you at some point, if you're able to, we wanna see you face-to-face here. If not in a worship service in a small group or somehow because online community only goes so far and we're grateful for how far it can go. But don't settle if you don't have to because we need each other. It's how we can quantify and know that we're changing. And my friends, the encouragement here is if you know Jesus, if you love him, if you've responded to him and his grace in your life, you will change because he empowers you to do so. And we're gonna talk a lot about that in the coming weeks. I mean, let's take this for a test drive with just what we see in this story. So in a number of days after receiving Jesus Christ, if you go back to Acts chapter nine and you read Paul's story, his spiritual journey, all of a sudden he's showing up in the synagogue and he's not looking to arrest Jesus' followers. He's now proclaiming the gospel. And he's now arguing and persuading the the Jews who were there to follow Jesus Christ, to respond to his grace just like he has. It's crazy. How in the world does that work? Well, you know, Paul was a type A personality who liked to argue right? I mean, look at what he's already written. For those of you who missed last week, my friends, this is not a page out of how to win friends and influence people, okay? Look what he says here. Man, if anyone is teaching or preaching or proclaiming a gospel other than the gospel, man, let them be under God's curse. And in case they miss it, he says it twice because he's rightfully frustrated 
about anyone who would distract or distort or dilute the gospel. Because you lose the gospel, you lose the only pathway to right relationship with God and other people. It's worth defending, and it's worth speaking up for, for sure. And we can look at this and say, well, he's a type A personality. You know know anyone like that? You know, kind of thick-skinned? They don't care what other people think. They'll give it to you straight, whether you like it or not, and they'll tell you. I've worked with people like that, and I've worked for people like that. And maybe you're one of those people. Well, clearly that's what Paul was, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's representative. Because as you'll see as we go through this letter, Paul loves this crew. He's not this abrasive, hard-hitting type A who just says whatever he wants to say, however he wants to say it. He genuinely cares for them. And as you read his other letters in the New Testament, this is a man with a pastor's shepherd's heart. He, He loves people. And he agonizes over their struggles. And he has great compassion. So I'm not buying that he's just this type A personality that runs over people. I think through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he's able to say the hard thing and the right thing. Are you like that? Can you say or do the hard thing and the right thing? Let's go back to that for a minute. Will you confront someone in love? Will you risk the approval of other people in your life to do what you know God wants you to do? Oh, my friends, that's, that's a battleground for me and always has been. When I chose to receive Jesus Christ in my life, the greatest struggle I had at that point wasn't if I believed this, if it was the truth, if Jesus was real, had no problem with that stuff. It was what it would mean for me and my family. Because you see, my family had made it really clear, my parents in particular, in that season of time, they didn't want me to ever be a pastor or a missionary or a Jesus follower. What was I going to tell them after this camp? And in that defining moment as I was wrestling with that, man, I had the very same conversation that Paul has with the Galatians in the verse that precedes this passage that we just started with, where he says, am I trying to win the approval of people or of God? And I had to wrestle with that. And in that moment, I chose to please God and not to look to please anybody else because I knew Jesus was real. I knew he loved me. I knew his grace was was tangible and mine to have. But it had to be on his conditions and not mine. And that may mean that there were people in my life who wouldn't approve of that that I might have friends who thought, what in the world did you just do? This is supposed to be a camp where you, know, where you go and eat food and, and chase pretty girls and, and eat more food and have fun with your friend. Jesus, seriously, you bought into that? Yep, I did. I do it all over again and twice on Sunday. Because Jesus is life. His grace is real. And through his empowerment, I can do the hard thing and I can do the right thing and so can you. And I'll give you some tangibles. His grace enables you to forgive someone who you don't feel like forgiving. His grace enables you to serve someone who does not deserve it. His grace enables you to give the benefit of the doubt to somebody when you don't feel like it. 
but I'll give you some more tangibles. It's the person who years ago chose to follow Jesus, respond to his grace. They were in a relationship. They were living with their, their significant other and that person chose not to follow Jesus and as this person began to grow in Jesus, they realized God wants me to be married to um, someone who knows and loves him if at all possible, and so they had a conversation and that other person said, I'm not into this Jesus stuff, and so they were on the road to get married, they were engaged, this person broke off the engagement, and to this day they're still not married. And I so respect them because they did the hard thing and they did the right thing. This is about the couple who so badly wants to sleep together, even though that, you know, they've been dating and everyone around them, all their peers are sleeping together, but they know that that's not what God wants for them, so they're choosing to save themselves for one another until they get married because that honors God and honors each other. The hard thing, but the right thing. This is the person who so badly wants to look at porn. Every day it's a struggle for them and every day they're in the trenches wrestling with that and not giving in to that and when they do, they seek forgiveness and they go back at trying to do the hard thing and the right thing. And so it goes. What would you fill in the blank there? The encouragement for you and me is that this God, through his grace, through his very presence in our lives, gives us the ability to trust and obey him. And this is how it tangibly works itself out in our lives. For the what? The grace of God, as Paul writes in his letter to Titus, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now watch where this gets real practical. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. My friends, you and I can do this because he empowers us to do so and he promises blessing and joy for those of us who will choose to trust and obey him. So this is my question for me and you as we prepare to respond to God's word and I invite our worship team to come back up. For those of you here, for those of you online, how do you need to say yes to Jesus today? Because my sense is in a gathering of this many of us and certainly for those who are online, There are some of you who realize, you recognize through the Holy Spirit working in your life right now that if you're honest with yourself, you're more of a fan than a follower. And so for you to say yes to Jesus today means that you need to go all in. You need to say, Jesus, I am going to follow you with my life. For those of us who do know Jesus, what does it mean for you to say yes to him today? Or what does it mean for you to say no to what he would have you say no to in your life? Because at the end of the day, this is the reality. Because of his grace, you can do this. You can trust and obey him even when you don't feel like it because he gives you the ability to do just that. So as we respond together, I'm gonna invite you as you worship to remember we have communion off to the sides, remind yourself of what he's done for you, but ask him to speak to you. How do you want me to say yes to you today, Jesus, and what do I need to say no to? 
and let's worship him together. God, thank you that your grace is real, that you are real, that the power of your Holy Spirit is real, and that life on your terms is always better than life on ours. Would we believe that? Would we experience that? Would you continue to move powerfully in us as we choose to trust and obey you? Thank you for your grace. And thank you that you are here with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you believe what, what you just sang. Um, yesterday I was visiting my dad who's uh, recovering from breaking his hip. He's in a rehab facility on the west side. And at one point he stopped and he just looked at me and he said, I'm proud of you, son. Yeah. Kids need to hear that. As a parent, grandparent, if you have the opportunity to say that, say that. But that's not my point. My, my parents are very supportive and glad that I'm a pastor and that I love Jesus. But years ago, it was a defining moment of who am I going to please? And I don't know what your defining moment is, but I know that in a gathering this size, there's probably at least someone here who realizes they're a fan and not yet a follower. I want to encourage you, this is a safe place to do business with that. Would you please come talk to me? Talk to our prayer team. Talk to the person who, who brought you. Because the first step in this spiritual journey of stepping over from death to life is to say yes to Jesus, is to say, I want to follow you. We'd love to help you do that. And for the rest of us, for those of us, I should say, who, who love the Lord and who want to live for him, let's remember these incredible words and really the promise here. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How will you say yes to him today? And what do you need to say no to? Because as you do business with that, you will find the joy and the hope and the purpose that you're truly looking for. And let me pray that blessing over you. I thank you once again for each person here, for those who are watching and listening from our online community. Lord, thank you that you are the God who pursues us, who loves us, who unconditionally invites us into your kingdom, but then you call us to trust and obey you because that is how we find life and joy and hope and happiness and peace and purpose. Would we believe that? Would we take you at your word? And as we go from here, would we live out the life change that you bring? Because this world desperately needs to know the grace that we have and that we have experienced. And we pray all this in your name. And God's people said, amen. 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 So go live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.